So we've got a few emails that we should address. Yep. Um, I'm going to start with the shortest one. I like that our friend Patrick said this could take between 20 seconds and an hour. So it's basically like every other conversation yeah. topic we have. Nice. I guess they mostly don't last just 20 seconds though. All right. So how do you think college football would differ had the Pentagon not pulled the plug on the proposed airline conference? Now, um, I one day I will write a book on the airline conference. And by the way, since I said the word book, that reminds me of something else I want to talk about in a little bit. But um, uh, you know, the the airline conference is something I've talked about a lot. Actually, he called it the airplane conference. Either one packed the the California California Stanford UCLA USC Washington uh, the service academies and then Notre Dame Penn State and uh, Pitt. He had Duke and Georgia Tech. I, I hadn't heard that. I had, think I had like. I think it was Syracuse involved, Syracuse and Pitt and Penn State. But regardless, uh, a collection of those teams in 1959. 1959 is one of the most sneaky, amazing, fascinating years in the history of college football. Um, Although the proposal didn't contain a team uh, that had an AP national championship for the previous 10 years, it clearly had a chance to have a, this is me reading again, Mm -hmm. have a big effect on the sport with members both academically prestigious and big on sport. Do you think this proposal could have ended up starting almost a premier league in college football, or was it more likely to have just been another major conference Would service Academy ball have kept its relevance or was it still doomed to become what it is today? There's probably a tangent on how Ivy League football has changed by this as well, but I don't want to ask too much. Um, so one day I will have a TV show that is basically Good Eats for college football. Um, okay. That's on the the you know 40 year to do list, um, and I want to do a whole episode on the airline, airline conference and basically everything that might have happened afterwards. This is because, like the man. This is like the man in the high castle. This <laughs> because not, um, not that this proposal is that the Nazis rule America, but man, this this creates a dystopian future, Bill. Well, right. I mean, think of like so. At that point, you you could have things like the Big Eight and Southwest Conference freaking out and like merging all of their good teams together, which they did. Um, which they which they did like thirty five years later. Um, but then it would have been kind of it would have been obviously a different bunch. But yeah, then you might you might have had conference title games by the early to mid sixties. Um, and while there was a clamor for playoff or college football playoff in the sixties and especially the seventies, um, that would have massively sped that up. And so, I mean, maybe the impact is just speed. Maybe everything that happened 40 years later just happens more quickly. Yeah. Um, but it is really, really interesting to go down that road because yeah, I mean, that was 40, 50 years ago. Think of where, you know, since since nothing stands still and we all get restless, it is kind of fun to think about where we could have ended up. Maybe the Premier League idea where you've got one giant league of like 20 to 30 teams or 32 or 16 or whatever, um, and then everybody else, maybe that is what happens. But um, yeah, no, it, the, the fact that that almost happened 50 years before the conference realignment that we all got wrapped up in mm-hmm. is amazing. That, I'm it, sitting here jotting down pretty close. too. I'm trying to... Uh... Where do you want to hit this first? The, the, uh, the economics are fascinating to me. Yeah. If you start, so let's say it's active and running in the early sixties, you would need, uh, the inclusion of pin sticks out first of all, because I think, I think that was supposed to be pit actually. I'm almost positive that was pit, but he might've, he might be reading something completely different and it might be just as uh, realistic as well. Let's say for argument's sake, it's pit. Cause then that, that would eliminate an entire tangent because you would have to have an Ivy really shift its entire culture away from the, I mean, that, that's a whole thing unto itself. Um, 
Ah, this is this smacks of 1959 in a lot of ways. So you're talking about where the GDP is strongest in the United States, where population is strongest. This yeah. is you still have a a functioning rust belt. Um, Florida football has not is not really a thing yet. Um, you know, Florida, the, Florida State, Miami, right? And and a lot of this, you know, it's funny they plant seeds to have a prestige academic institution in the Carolinas, and then also have uh, you know a the same thing a strong engineering school in a large southern city considered you know in this proposal to be an outpost. Uh, so in the short term, Duke and Georgia Tech would have benefited greatly because you would have seen the uptick in not only population growth in the South, but also uh, television broadcasts at the time would have favored this conference dramatically just with the inclusion of the California, Notre Dame, you know, uh, Penn State. This would have been the, the biggest rival to the Big Ten. So people don't realize the South struggled for a long time to have uh, the same amount of national coverage that the, the Big Ten and the Pac-10 did, so... I would see a, a temporary benefit for the two Southern schools there. I don't know if this changes, you know, Bill, I don't know if this changes Notre Dame at all, to be totally honest with you. Um, yeah, no, probably not. Other it's than, everybody else that it changes. Yeah. I mean, Notre, so Notre Dame kind of remains a constant for being Notre Dame. Um, they, by the way, in 1959, the ACC was total crap. So um, I think Clemson had had some good years. Duke had had some good years, but if this, if what we're talking about here with with Duke being involved, uh, Clemson might get crushed by this. Florida, Florida State, or not necessarily Florida there in the SEC, but Florida State, Miami. Um, if, if if college football kind of creates a ruling class in the early '60s based around this, then some of these teams that hadn't emerged yet might have might have had a lot more trouble emerging a few years later or a couple decades later. I think this also dramatically benefits uh, the two LA schools because for a long time. Um, what the two LA schools were able to do is to go into rural America, especially the South, recruit the African American communities when yeah. the civil rights uh, uh, struggle was at its worst, and pull kids away from those situations. Um, the, a lot of Michigan schools succeeded at this. Michigan State used to have a pipeline of, of players that would come from the Deep South, you know, rural Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. Um, I could see this benefiting Los Angeles, uh, you know, specifically UCLA, UCL, uh, USC. And I guess Cal to some degree, um, that this would help them again by going in and playing Georgia Tech. Um, this is, all right, what about the service academies? I don't know what this does, yeah. to be honest. With I you. don't know. I mean, it puts them in a situation where they absolutely uh, emphasize ac- uh, athletics more. Um, that or they just they struggle and they die and they leave. I don't know. I mean, that could have happened too. Teams have left because they weren't keeping up. Um, but in the late fifties, that wasn't a thing yet. No, our, our, I think at that point, Navy was putting together a good run. Army had faded a little bit from, but they were still only a decade removed from being amazing. Um, Air Force really wasn't much of anything at that point. They were just kind of a competitive mid-major that would, uh, as I know from my Mizzou history, they would come to Columbia every couple of years and almost beat Missouri. Um, well, and keep in mind too, Bill, we're talking about a time in which the overwhelming majority of Americans are either service families or have connections, immediate connections to service immediate, families. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, maybe you that have does. tons of XGIs that still have a strong interest in those programs, which is completely unlike the situation we have today. So right. maybe this it, props them up in a way, just in terms of exposure where they start playing games against big teams on both coasts, you know, Penn state, Notre Dame, and then, uh, you know, USC and Washington. Yeah. 
I, I think this is I, I don't know how it, if we're comparing to 2016 and in, in, in our in our timeline uh, I don't see how this is anything but beneficial for the service academies right I mean the worst thing that happens is they can't keep up they leave and they're where they at they are now yeah um, but the best thing that happens is yeah f- from an athletic standpoint at least yeah they, they establish a much 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 higher baseline um, and they don't really leave the scene in the 60s which by the way of course, they they both started you know as as has been documented before you know the 60s the early 2000s whatnot they they always seem to struggle when uh, troops are actually deployed somewhere so maybe that there, there's a whole other side of that see I'm telling you this is a whole this is a whole half hour show at least uh, of my TV show that doesn't exist well there's also the you know the the bigger question of how how was it ever possible to keep the service academies as relevant as they were and I don't know if the answer is yet I I, I don't know if there is a way without right. without dramatically changing admissions or standards or you know i i just when you get into the modern era and you, and you talk about the you know taking a, a prospect's ability to play in the nfl essentially away from them I, I don't know how regardless of what teams that are on the schedule or how they've been exposed in the media or marketed i think that just that's going to affect your talent base at a, a certain point i don't know how you so- don't end up with what we have now so, so basically, this might not have actually made a long-term impact at all, but if it did, it would only be positive for the football programs, basically. Yeah, I mean, man, we're, we're making a lot of big assumptions right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. It's a fascinating look. I mean, it's just... Yeah, no, I by mean... By the way, Pitt, there's... I think uh, Pitt, if that's, if that's what he meant and not Penn, um, Pitt may benefit the most out of all the schools here. Yeah. With the exception, and, and like with the said, exception were, of Duke, were, if Duke if Duke stays committed to football, also Wallace Wade was at Duke in the '30s, right? Yeah, yeah, he had left. Okay. Um, this makes Duke this makes Duke a much more attractive destination, and they don't go into forty years of, of hibernation minus the, yeah, the guy, Spurrier season. The guy who succeeded Wallace Wade is named of all things Bill Murray. Um, nice. They won the Orange Bowl in 54. They made another Orange Bowl in 57. They had a bunch of top 20 finishes in that decade. And then in 1960, they finished t- uh, 10th. And then it was pretty much over for 40 years after that. But um, I will say a little – a little. Um, uh, <clears throat> I, I didn't realize I was going to be pimping this book today. But if you go to Amazon and you Google, it's, it's called A Memorable Season in College Football, A Look Back in 1959. By a guy named Robert Reed. I will not say that it's the most um, like cover to cover gripping read you'll ever have. I mean, it was written kind of a, a, from an academic standpoint, I think. Um, but just the sheer number of amazing things that happened in there. He touches on the airline conference. Uh, two of the teams in the book that I'm about to mention uh, that I'm absolutely putting in there in there. 1959 Ole Miss may have been the best team of all time, but got beaten by Billy Cannon. Uh, 1959 Syracuse was um, an amazing team in its own right. They didn't get to play Ole Miss. There was no, there was no machinery in place to allow Ole Miss to play a team that uh, featured players of a certain color uh, in 1959. So all of these things are going on. And and from 59 to 62 college football and culture just mixed together. So uh, in in such a volatile way, it was amazing. That's why I think it's, Notable that the two schools that they're mentioning in the still very segregated South at that time are a private institution that's not beholden to state. I mean, they're beholden to pressure, but Duke could 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 you know essentially make its own laws to a certain degree, and then Georgia Tech and the blackest part of the the South at that time. <laughs> yeah, 
So one other conference, I'm, I'm going to save the other questions because we're already at like an hour 10 and, uh, you know, we would talk another 20 minutes. But uh, the other conference that I remember hearing about, it, it actually, now that I look, it has its own Wikipedia entry, the, Magno, the Southern Ivy, the Magnolia Conference. Um, around the time that um, these discussions were going on, uh, I think it was the, the chance, yeah, the chancellor of Vanderbilt University wanted to create basically a, a Southern based conference of academic institutions and the, the, the schools, knowing what we know about the, the history that would unfold is pretty impressive. Uh, SMU, Vanderbilt, Rice, Duke, and Tulane. Uh, and then I think, is it in this article? Um, so basically, I, I've basically seen Miami. the field for the, college, for the college baseball playoff every year. Right. And I've seen Miami tied to this as well because they are also private. Yes, keep in mind, by the way, in this era and for many, many years, Miami is nothing more than a private predominantly Jewish school of a very, very small enrollment tucked away in Coral Gables, Florida. <laughs> but it would have been, it's funny. I don't think it would have played out this way, but it's, it is funny thinking about um, Miami emerging in the early to mid eighties in the same conference as SMU um, and oh, Vanderbilt Jesus. and Tulane and Rice. Like that, it's like, I can't even, and yeah, history would have played out completely different in this circumstance, but it's funny just knowing what we know about these programs, trying to mix those teams together in our head. Well, you also, I mean, depending on your age, when you're listening to this, this is either going to be something, you know, you already know, or you won't believe, but we're talking about assembling this conference in a time in which one of the most fertile recruiting areas in the country is Western PA. Yeah where the two of uh, the three Florida schools that just said the, the piece about Miami, but keep in mind, Florida state is not much more than a teacher's college at this point. Um, they're playing football, but they're not good at it. And the university of Florida. No, uh-uh. I mean, it's the state of Florida is still orange groves. So the, the influx of population and talent, none of that has happened yet. The Texas, the Texas power is still concentrated and the South is just not that populated. So it's, uh, you know, this is why it's so interesting to me is you have Southern California, which has just emerged, and then you have a very, very strong kind of northeast to middle Midwest area. And when you include Pittsburgh, that's a big deal. When you include Penn State, that's a big deal. This would have rivaled the Big Ten, I think, for, for 10, oh, yeah. 10 or oh, so yeah. years, you know? Yeah, I mean, at least rivaled. Last question I'll pose to you on this is this guts a lot of the schools outside of this inclusion on the, on the West side. So the Arizona's, uh, Oregon's the Oregon. Yeah. Oregon. I mean, uh, and at the, and while we're on that note, Colorado and Oklahoma state had just joined the big eight. It actually might've been the first year that Oklahoma state was in the big eight. It was right around the uh, late fifties when that happened. So those teams, I think Texas tech and Houston were right um, I'm blanking on the years, but they had either just joined or were about to join the the Southwest Conference. All of those schools, like if you have something where the Big 12, so quote unquote, the Big 12 forms, then all of those schools are mid-majors um, and remain mid-majors for a very long period of time. And you end up with a conference of, you know, whatever, T, you know, TCU's in the mix this time. Baylor, I guess, is in the mix. Um, but like the big names of that time for that conference uh, are, you know, Texas and OU are both, I guess OU is still powerful, but starting to fade Texas. Um, I don't think was amazing for a few more years. Nebraska was, was struggling. Uh, they hadn't yet hired. Um, uh, crap. Osborne? Uh, 
No, the guy. God, the 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 amazingly successful guy before Osborne. Um, man, I am just failing left and right today. Uh, uh, Devaney, Bob Devaney. Um, so the the powers of that early Big Twelve. I mean, Oklahoma, I guess Missouri with Dan Devine almost won the national title in 1960. Went to the Orange Bowl in '59. Um, OU is probably still the marquee name, but after that, it's it's kind of a weird place to be. Kansas had a couple good teams in that period. Um, so what you're I, saying it, is this, Bill? We're sitting here talking about this hypothetical conference that never existed but could have changed college football forever. Maybe in 50 years, we're talking well, not us, but maybe either our hologram ghosts or robots or what have you are talking about how the east side of uh, the 2016 Conference USA ended up changing college football forever after the uh, nuclear fallout. <laughs> Definitely. Back-to-back I mean, national no other, champions, Old Dominion. There's no other option here. Well, we should let people go, I think. Yeah, I think now that the only way I've said the Houston is going to be successful is with an, uh, Armageddon, I think I, I probably need to back away slowly. Uh, I'm writing down for, for the uh, teaser of this, ODU as Armageddon national power. Give Old Dominion 50 years in a nuke, and they'll beat Alabama. <laughs> there you go. Hey, don't go just yet. We, uh, we, had, to, we had to run back in here and uh, make sure you guys didn't log off before we uh, had to make a major announcement, Bill. Yeah, I'm, I'm so good at self-promotion that I completely forgot, even after teasing it. Um, if you go, it's on my Twitter profile now. You can, you'll find a link at the ESP Nation post for this and just about 50 other places. Um, I am attempting a Kickstarter, which is the scariest possible damn ego check you can possibly do. Um, but I'm attempting a Kickstarter for the next book idea I have. I want to bring in a research assistant to help me out. Uh, the book is going to be titled 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time with an asterisk next to best because it's not actually the best at all. It's basically the 50 teams that I find most interesting and actually want to talk about. Um, a lot of them are will have been very, very good, but not quite all of them. But basically, as if you go to the Kickstarter page, you'll see basically you'll hear me or see me saying the same thing. I, I wanted to write a college football book about the teams that actually defined college football, and that's not always the champions. So, um, you know, teams like 59 Ole Miss and Syracuse will absolutely be on there. A team like 2007 Oregon that hired some dude from New Hampshire to run the offense and completely changed college football in, in the spread offense. Teams like that are the ones I want to talk about. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm raising money to do so. Give Bill your money. I mean, that's that's all that needs to be said, I think. Now. 